0: everyone welcome to portals and gateways this is our monthly uh, podcast and um we have a very special guest again katrina um and um she's written a beautiful book you know that's one of the reasons how i got i got to know her a long time ago but um let me introduce her um katrina are you ready yes i am Oh, good. Okay, so today I was wondering, um, you know, we have a very interesting name for our podcast, which is Portals and Gateways. Now, I know what a portal is, um, I think. <laughs> I think. <laughs> but maybe um, you'd like to explain and I can chime in.
1: Okay. I'm in of humanity and we do have help coming from spirit and they remind us that at each of the major alignments if you follow astrology astrology there are some alignments occurring that are portals and gateways inviting us to take the next step into our evolution as humanity. Those portals are especially strong during the turning points of the year, which are the four power points, the two equinoxes and the two solstices. So we're on our way heading toward the next sol- solstice, which will be the summer the summer solstice. So each of those add to the energy coming through to the Earth. We have a tremendous amount of energy coming into the earth right now to help us make the transition into world family, not all these pockets of warring nations. It's about time we got beyond that thinking. And so whenever we have a, a special alignment, we consider that a gateway. And people can feel this, I'm sure, lots of people can feel this. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um question. Well, I have spring allergies. So there we go.
0: That's a good explanation. Um I hadn't thought of it on those terms. Uh to me a portal was um a set of numbers like 1111 to me is a portal. <clears throat> um I don't where you have access. You know.
1: Um,
0: yeah. yeah. So that's and sometimes you see it on well, you see it everywhere. You know, you see it on clocks. You see it on.
1: It's funny. Everyone's saying this lately. They really? <laughs> have to glance at the clock and it's two twenty-two. It just goes on and on, it's repeating numbers.
0: Yeah. I consider it,
1: these messages.
0: Yeah, and, and those are those are in, in numerology. Those are uh, the higher numbers. Those are the numbers that you do not reduce. You never reduce a 20, you know, an an 11 or a 22 or a 33 or a 44. Never. So um, that's how it was explained to me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes if you're out driving around or and you see a house number and it's 1111 or, 222 or 444, guess yeah. what?
1: You're being given a sign or a signal. Yeah, I always wonder what the people who live in those houses are like. <laughs> if maybe they're reflecting that energy. Mm-hmm. You know, that that's that's a good point
0: too. I hadn't thought of that, but that's a very good point. Um, now the gateways, you just explained it. Those, are, to, to me, those are portals.
1: Yeah. Uh, and it's essentially the same thing. We just couldn't decide one or the other, so we used them both. Ah, okay. So the gateways are the, are
0: the biggies. Yeah. And
1: those,
0: those happen at the solstices and the uh, equinox. Yeah. Yeah. So let me ask you a quick question. What should we do? This is, I have an idea of what you should do, but I'm going to ask you what should we do? On, the, on those
1: particular times. Well, since we are becoming more and more a global family and a galactic family, I, I always stand outside and just look at the stars and open my arms wide and tell them, welcome. And just think thoughts of love and cooperation and that we're in a time where all of us are being challenged to really, really reflect all those high ideals that we talk about of really being open to others, whatever the others may be and to realize and accept that we're not alone in this vast universe that we have tremendous millions of others out there who are watching planet Earth and praying and hoping, I don't believe they hope, they probably already know that we're waking up and we're starting to reach out to others in a very different way. So we've had this huge wake up call, that all of us, you and I would talk about the the upcoming Earth changes, and we didn't really know what was going to happen. Nobody really knew, but we knew something big was coming. Little did we know it was the plague. But that's what we've been through, and it has really, really shaken up all of humanity, not just small pockets, but every single group, every single individual. So this has been a time of great awakening and great challenge. But I feel personally that we have risen to the occasion, that we are reaching out to one another in peace and in help. How do you feel from your side? Do you see a lot of cooperation going on? Um,
0: yes, I do. I do. Um, the other thing that I'm, I'm seeing or, or hearing about is. Um, families are going closer together obviously i mean they have no choice (laughs) they don't and um of course the education of the children is being questioned i think by most of the parents because they were put in the role of teachers and um hmm, you know that uh, kind of changed the way they would teach you know the way the children are learning and i think That's a huge step um, because I'm an (laughs) ex-teacher and I like to see that, I'm glad. And I think the children, um, aside from the social uh, contacts that they're limited to, um, they're starting to see, we're starting to see a big difference in the way children are learning. These kids that are coming in today Uh, i'm talking about the younger ones extremely sharp extremely bright yeah so um anyhow that's that's what i see happening um well i think i think we've kind of given um our audience uh, a good idea of what portals and gateways are Mm
1: -hmm. and
0: how to feel them um, because you can certainly feel the changes in the energy, yeah. and um, and um, I'm not so sure you can see it literally, but you can definitely feel it. Yeah. So um, the Schumann
1: res- resonance has been off the charts. The what has the Schumann resonance? Oh, oh it's I had measurable energy
0: pulsation coming from the earth. Yeah. Well, yeah. Look at the look at the changes that are going on in the earth. Yeah. So
1: it's an exciting time. I try not to get too involved in the fear and gloom and doom. In fact, I don't at all, because to me, it's a very uplifting time for all of us. Yeah. Yeah. We are no, being tested <laughs> every
0: day. Yeah. We're being tested every day, but it's true. You recently um, moved back in with your own family, Sharon, so I think that's wonderful. Thank you. And I, 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 I'm I finding out that a lot of people are doing this.
1: Yeah.
0: No, it isn't just me. Um, I came back to my family, where I they're letting me grow up, which is really nice.
1: <laughs> oh, don't grow up too much. <laughs> we like you the way you are. Thank you. I
0: do. I I do have a lot of fun with my family, and I'm very fortunate. And I think a lot of other people, you know, elderly people, um, are are moving back in with their families. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think it's a marvelous step. I really do. And it's an adjustment. It's an adjustment for the family, but it's also an adjustment individually. So. Okay, well, you know, I had asked you, we kind of went off track, but that's okay. Um, I kind of, I had asked you if you would uh, read an excerpt from your book, because this has to do with Egypt.
1: Yes, well, I can't hold my book up as I did before because we don't have it on video. But maybe you can take a screenshot and
0: yeah I'll, I'll definitely favorite. I have I have the um, a picture of the cover. Yeah. and when I, when I send this off you know to um, Cape Media, I'll make sure I include it.
1: Mm-hmm. Well my book is entitled entirely... oh, yeah. Stars, Nights of Jasmine and the reference to the River of Stars. The Giza Plateau with the three pyramids, three major pyramids, and then three more and three more. There are actually nine pyramids on the plateau. But we tend to think, if we've not been there, that they are just three pyramids. Actually, there are hundreds of pyramids throughout the world and also throughout Egypt. But if one were able to take a photo from a great distance above the earth and superimpose it, and that he will have done this, onto a photo of the Giza Plateau and the star system that was overhead at the time that the pyramids were built. They fit like a puzzle. The pyramids are reflecting what was happening in the heavens. And not just in a general way, they literally fit like puzzle pieces. There's been so much research on how the pyramids were built, ancient Egyptian society, and there's always a focus on Egypt because the discoveries never, ever end. Every month or so, there's another excavation. I had the great honor of being there for one of the biggest discoveries in Egypt, and that was at the uh, Luxor Temple. And one of my chapters is about that, because it was such an exciting event. So what I did was I planned for my group to get into Luxor Temple late at night and meditate. So this chapter is called Thriller Night in Luxor. And I'll just read a little bit of it. And at the beginning of each chapter, I have a quote. <clears throat> when you reach the end of what you should know, you'll be at the beginning of what you should sense. So, we need to trust our own intuition in anything that we're pursuing. So, this is the night that we, as a group, went out to Luxor Temple. Now, look, normally I go ahead of time and I pay some some bribes to the guards so that we can get in because everything i do in egypt is more or less illegal <laughs> oh nice i say more or less because it depends okay on you know. so <clears throat> a crescent moon shimmers in a deep indigo sky oh god i need a cough top my and get a horse again You okay? Can you put it on pause while I get a coffee? I can do that. Yep, I can do that. A crescent moon shimmers in a deep indigo sky, and the clear night is charged with energy and anticipation. Even our taxi drivers are excited to be part of this escapade. As as they sweep into the driveway of our hotel, their headlights off. Each young driver has acquired a, a cassette of Michael Jackson's hit song, Thriller. Which they play on full volume. I run and motion. It's too late. The hotel security officers, do to see what's going on. So much for being clandestine and moving on the scene. We emerge from the lobby dressed in white, carrying flowers and velvet pouches of stones and incense. Young drivers shimmy and undulate their slim torsos and display their best imitations of Michael's moonwalk as they open the car doors and help us climb in. The sight of foreign women dressed as virgin brides all in white is not lost on them and they cry out, marry me, marry me! (laughs) The moment we turn onto the corniche along the Nile, the music goes back up, our meditative mood shifts into thrill and madness again and our noisy entourage makes its way through the empty streets. <clears throat> the drivers settle down and turn the music off as we pull up to the main gate. Two night guards crouch over a brazier, preparing their thick Turkish coffee in a small brass pot. The smell of kerosene from the stove is sharp in the cool night air. I look around, but there's no sign of the guard I'd met and bribed the day before. My careful planning of our illicit entrance and the small roll of Bakshi's seems to have ensured nothing. One of the young guards jumps up and greets us. We know who you are, Miss Kara. Our friend told us to to expect you and to let you in. But there's a problem. The temple keys are with the Rais, the captain, and he has gone home to sleep. The stouter of the man shakes the locked gate to make his pin- point. You see, we cannot let anyone inside without the key. He puts his hands out in front of him in a gesture of defeat. Nothing to be done, Valesh, never mind. In my ever optimistic and determined thinking, for every problem there is always at least one solution. I ponder a moment. So, My guide, Serapis, is presenting me with a riddle to solve, another initiation. Judging from the look on the faces, the guards are clearly terrified of their boss. They're afraid to risk losing their jobs, and I cannot blame them. I'm not about to coerce them and get them in trouble. The only solution is for me to go to the Ais, wake him, and employ him to give me the key. I share my plan with the two guards. You are joking, the first guard shakes his head, incredulous and wide eyed. Then he becomes pensive as he considers my plan. His face lights up with amusement. The idea of my personally visiting his boss, the Raiz, or captain, in his bedroom and waking him for the key to the temple is an outrageous scheme and one the guards find amusing. I like this plan, this is very funny. He says, you will really do that, His friend shines in. You will go into his room alone. I'm telling you, he is a feet, magdun, crazy, or not a good man. You must be magdun too if you would do this. The shorter, the shorter of the two guards, who seems to be the leader, shakes his head in disbelief and mutters prayers under his breath as I follow him along winding dirt roads for about a quarter of a mile. We arrive at a small, flat-roofed house, and he pushes the door open and motions for me to enter. When I turn, he's gone, and I'm alone in the dark with a mammoth, snoring hulk of a man. Raiz's long limbs and round belly spill over the edges of the single-sized mattress that sags to the floor under the weight of him. For a moment I stand still and adjust to the darkness. As my eyes come into focus I see a neatly rolled prayer rug against the corner of the sparse room. Next to it, a Quran rests on a carved wooden stand. It is clear that the man is a meticulous and pious Muslim who enjoys order. The small busy temple I The small space is likely his sanctuary from his public position at the busy temple. I admire the cleanliness of his room and speculate that maybe he's just a lonely, and obsessive old man. Perhaps I ponder he's misunderstood and not a bad person at all. Now that I stand before the sleeping ladies, I don't know how to begin. I breathe deeply and struggle to recall or respectful Arabic phrases in an effort to impress him with my sincerity, summoning my courage, I speak Arabic in a gentle little voice. Yau, Salat, excuse me, please awaken, sir, we must enter the great temple and pray. He doesn't stir, and so I wait a moment and then repeat the same formal phrase. But Ais opens his eyes but shows no response. I move closer and say the words again in a more urgent tone. I think perhaps he cannot see me in the dark and so I step into the narrow shaft of moonlight which streams from a small window hoping to be more visible he stares at me with bulging eyes and struggles for words but none come out I raise my arms my glittering white shawl dripping open and draping down my body soon the sun shall rise and we must stand before the holy of holies it is time The old man begins to treble and call out to Abla, praying and wailing in terror. He seems far more frightened of me than I am of him, and I wonder why. He then falls into a violent fit of coughing and trembling. I fear he might expire, but I don't dare move closer to assist. I wait and watch him with concern. His coughing subsides for a moment, and I bow slightly in greeting. Using my most soothing hypnosis voice. Nothing to fear. His moaning starts again and becomes louder as he covers his eyes in terror. Outside, a rooster starts to crow, a dog barks, and the howls of the rais merge with the distant echo of the call to prayer. I fear that soon the entire village will awaken and rush to his aid, causing a scandal that will travel far and wide. My godfather will hear of this in Cairo. I can already see him sitting at his desk, his tired eyes looking over his reading glasses as I struggle to explain the odd circumstances which led to my arrest and internment in Luxor Prison. It is not uncommon for me to do illegal, mystical things that my godfather frowns upon, but this could push his patience with me to the limit. But far worse, it would bring great scandal to the sterling reputation. I've never considered myself to be a threatening figure at five feet tall, but now as I stand in the narrow shaft of light, clothed in my long white robe, my hair flowing, it occurs to me I may look to this old man like the angel of death. I imagine how I must appear from his perspective. Were I a religious person, I'd be taken aback by the image I present, looming over him as he lay trembling in his bed. I try again to make myself understood, and I plead, Maftua, Maftua, the key, the key. raiz rises in one frantic move, gasping and wheezing as he reaches under the bed. Does he have a weapon? Oh, God, of course he does. He's a high-ranking guard. Why didn't I think of this? I freeze, trembling with fear, trying not to collapse into a faint or wet my pants. He lurches and flings a heavy key ring across the floor. He then falls back onto his pillow, moaning as he clutches his chest. The keys make a sharp, sharp scraping noise on the stone floor, and I dive in the direction of the sound, snatching them and rushing toward the door. Past in the pre-dawn light, the neighborhood looks entirely different from when I arrived in the darkness, and I've become disoriented. I run left and right, searching for some familiar sign. Then the far-off whistle of the workers' ferry across the Nile offers a clue, and I head toward that sound, hoping this will lead me to the front gate of the temple. I don't dare look back in case someone is pursuing me. With a few heart-pounding twists and turns, my long garments held high, and the key ring clutched to my chest, I make my way back to the main gate. In unison, the men and the guards and the women cheer my arrival. Within minutes, the large metal gate creaks and drags across the pavement, and we're on the other side of it. My victory, however, is tempered with regret for causing the old man such a fright. What if I killed him? smoking smoke uh, would, have been, would have put him at risk for a heart attack or even a stroke. I feel terrible to think I may have caused harm to any human being. Oh, tell us again what you said, please, the guards cry out. No one has spoken this classical Arabic since the days of the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. They appeared to be enjoying this moment far too much, and they begged me not to leave. Where did you learn classical Arabic, and how is it you speak it so well? They listened, tears of laughter rolling down their faces, their arms around each other to keep from falling over. I had no idea my speech was so amusing, I say. As I recount all that happened, the phrases I used, and how the old man had relented and thrown the keys at me since I seldom have living people with whom to converse in Arabic back home. I can only surmise how I must sound. My cat Rashid is fluent, and understands all Arabic dialects with ease. He's never once corrected me or laughed at my archaic use of the language, the way that these men are doing. I think I'll stop there because... Maybe that puts people's appetite, and it's Facebook is actually pretty
0: one. So. <laughs> actually it was beautiful. You know what's happening though is you're fading in and out and I don't know whether it's your internet connection or what. Oh no. But we we lost a couple of words, but you know, it came right back again. So at least we didn't lose you completely. So well,
1: it um, could be when I'm looking down.
0: No. No, it has nothing to do with that. It has uh, to do with, it's your internet. You know, I can hear it clicking. So that's fine. You're fine now. And um, that was beautiful. You know, oh. <laughs> that, was, that was really beautiful. Um, I'm pretty sure everyone will really enjoy it.
1: But the fact that you you faced, that was dangerous. You know, I never think of that you know, I'm getting myself into these situations. I never think ahead. Well, this is really dangerous. I could be shot. I could be anything. I guess I'm just a very uh, impulsive woman.
0: <laughs> Once I, I get
1: my mind set on something, I'm going to do it.
0: Yeah. And now,
1: the, the rest of
0: the chapter um, talks about, do you want to do a little bit more or have is your voice?
1: No, well, I can do a little bit more.
0: Well, I think <coughs> there is more. I, I know there is more to this chapter. Yeah. And it's, it's what happens. And this is
1: almost like a climax. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty exciting. So I'll, I'll read a little bit more. Okay. Don't worry, you didn't kill him. He's too mean to die. Inshallah, God willing, your visit did him some good, and he will return today a better man. Maybe he won't beat us with his cane today. Leaving them to talk between themselves about their abusive boss, we compose ourselves and move on to our first stop, the small temple dedicated to the lion-headed goddess, Sekhmet. The hidden temple is off the main path and seldom visited by tourists. We tend to look for the more grandiose locations. Sekhmet's temple continues to be frequented by local women who implore her to right the wrongs done to them and to protect their children from harm. We enter the small dark room and stand before the black basalt statue of the dark goddess of fierce compassion. Someone has left a bunch of wild flowers at her feet. Sekhmet stands alone in the small room, legal and powerful, ready to lead her children through initiation by fire. She is known as the fierce god of compassion. One of my favorites. <laughs> one by one, we step forward and touch our foreheads to her feet. The dim moonlight from the opening above casts a shimmer on the ank in her hand the statue begins to heat up as Segment responds to our presence and she appears to come to life. I feel a soaring rush to my solar plexus where the chakra of inner power is activated. Among us, as ...always in the presence of the protector of women and children. We thank her for allowing us to commune with her. We say farewell. farewell and file out silently into the, lo- the soft light of the pre-dawn. The skeptical Nonon ceo in her group is sobbing. Her shoulders shake with the release of whatever pain she carried with her. F- at the far end of the immense Loksa temple, we continue to the innermost chamber of Amenhotep. The furthest vestibule of any Egyptian temple is the Holy of Holies. Place of ceremony and worship. It's also the oldest part of any temple. The sacredness of the place is palpable, and I can easily imagine a time when offerings were made to the gods and goddesses. The hieroglyphs on the wall describe these rituals in great detail. Each of us places a white boat of candle, flowers, amulets, and crystals upon the smooth black granite altar. We light our candles and gather around the altar in a circle, hands and bodies pressed against the cool stone as we begin chanting. My throat burns with a fire that rises up from my heart and I have a strange sensation and feel compelled to speak. Never a fan of direct voice channeling, I much prefer to stay present while accessing other realms. Trusting that my own higher self is sufficiently connected to the source. I take a deep breath as an unintelligible chanting begins to rise from my vocal cords in a language vaguely familiar yet unknown to my conscious mind. On a deep subconscious level, I know it's an ancient Egyptian prayer and I understand the meaning of what I'm saying. I can hear my voice intoning sounds and incantations from the distant past. They are words and names my ears have not heard in this lifetime, yet they are familiar to me. The group joins me in chanting the strange sounds and time is suspended. Our bodies sway with the spiraling energy moving through us and none are willing to break the circle as we stand, absorbing the intoxicating vibration of this holy place feels as if we're suspended in a timeless state of bliss for hours, but in fact only one hour has passed. We collect our things and close our secret circle in silence. The spell is broken by the first dim rays of the light entering the chamber, and the sound of voices from somewhere within the temple, voices of men shouting ever more loudly. The shouting gives way to a sharp cracking of pickaxes and stones, being moved. I wonder who would be digging in the center of the temple, especially at this early hour. Curious, we emerge into the main courtyard where our eyes meet with incredible sight, that of dozens of workers lifting a magnificent statue out of the ground. They place it on the old stone floor with care, and then they continue to dig. One after another, beautiful statues are being birthed from right beneath the slabs of stone, same stone upon which thousands of tourists walk every day. We stand in awe at the sight of the most exquisite images, carved from basalt and granite so smoothly as if done by laser. Transfixed, we watch as the men lift four statues of the Pharaoh, followed by female statues, Refrain carries through the crowd, which has now expanded to and a night to be careful through. There's an assortment of sleep of permanent Everyone is still as it is. The silence is broken when the chief archaeologist returns and sees us for the first time. He stares with an expression of disbelief, which immediately turns out to fury. Who are all you women, and how did you get in here? He yells, throwing his arms in the air. This is a restricted area. You cannot be in here. Go! He turns, red-faced with rage, and berates the police officers. Who let these women inside the temple? No one responds, and our appearance cannot be explained by anyone. I'm not about to betray my friends at the gate, who so kindly let us in not to mention the chance of the incident leading to another unsolved mystery, that of my unintentional act of murder of the old writings. With no further questioning by the enraged authorities, we leave as silently as we enter, filled with gratitude for the blessing we have received. Before passing through the final gates, I turn and look back, I steeple my fingers, bow my head, And I thank my God, Serapis, for orchestrating this miracle, this confirmation of his presence. And I vow never again to doubt my inner godness. And that's the end of that chapter.
0: Wow. That is beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. I love the uh, illusion that you gave of the statues coming out of the earth, like giving birth. It was just beautiful. And I'm sure anybody that's listening is going to get a beautiful picture because yes. we did it so well. Yeah, thank you. That was awesome. Um, It's a hard act to follow. I can't. <laughs>
1: I'll tell you, after this, this event, it was in newspapers all over the country, all over the world. Right? Really? Because it was the biggest excavation that occurred in probably a hundred years. found this many statues. After they took the eight statues, they found 30 more. (gasps) So it was just an incredible find. Wow. And no one ever knew how we got in there. (laughs) We were very, very happy for it. So that's just one of many adventures. When I was in Egypt a few months ago, I actually went to the museum in Luxor, which was built to house this excavation, and I saw all my old buddies in this glass cases. So it was really fun to see them again. Wow. I felt like they were old friends. <laughs> and that, that 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 they
0: are absolutely. That yeah. was lovely. Yeah, that was beautiful. Your book is wonderful. I have it on my Kindle, and uh, I read it. I you know I really like it. So, um, I think perhaps we are finished for today. What do you think?
1: Well, I think people would like to hear about your crystal shop that you had, Uh, your vast knowledge of crystals. (laughs) I don't know enough about them myself.
0: Oh, well, you know, I think because I've done, uh, well, I've tried to summarize because I've, I've studied crystals for what, maybe 10 years, and I've had three crystal stores and I've probably had three or four different, three or 400 different kinds of crystals in my, in my shop. And um, it, it's, it's a fascinating thing. Um, to me, the most fascinating part of, you know, learning about crystals was to find out that they are definitely the DNA of the earth, for one thing. And for another thing, um, one of the things that uh, sacred geometry comes into this too, because you have the five basic Platonic uh, shapes. Uh, that um, because Plato was one of my my I like Plato. <laughs> I quote him quite frequently. Um, the um, the Platonic solids, the five of them. They are as they work with the five main organs in the body or the five seasons also. So um, that's one part of the study. Um sacred geometry is to me fascinating, and i used I used it a lot to create crystal grids. and, um, you know, because there's a grid around the Earth, there's a a crystal grid around the Earth, Becker and Hedges, and we can talk about that at some other time. Um, And when you set up a grid, uh, you invoke a lot of power, a lot of um, energy, and you focus it in the grid. And I set up grids all over the all over the Cape, believe it or not, um, we friends of, of mine uh, set up grids pretty much all over the Cape, mostly for protection uh, to protect the to protect the Cape. I also set them up in Vero Beach because I was there for four years, and I set up quite a few crystal grids there. Um, I use crystal grids, or I I used to use crystal grids uh, to send healing energy to people um, to to situations, to houses, homes that are having little energetic people that don't belong there. (laughs) So, um, And it would take a lot more than just a few minutes for me to describe, you know, all the different things that I do with crystals. So does
1: that help? Oh, I have a question. When you say you set up a crystal grid, mm-hmm. you mean on a, on the physical plane? And do you yes. leave the crystals there?
0: Yes, we bury them in the sand or we the earth. Bury them. The earth, yeah. So
1: and, they're still working, even though we don't. Oh, absolutely. Am- yeah,
0: absolutely. And they never need to be reactivated because they they just constantly work. Um, one of the I things think- that I I discovered when I was, you know, learning about crystals um, is when you when you look at the DNA of a crystal and then you look at the DNA of a person, they're identical.
1: Wow. I didn't yeah. Know that.
0: Yeah. The DNA. And I think and I believe that that's how crystals help heal. Yeah. Yeah, so that's the connection. And, and it's, it, to me, it was startling. And I put all this information in my books. I've written four books on crystals and they're the ones that'll keep selling. And lately, uh, sacred grids is the one that seems to be, uh, people are buying that a lot. Um,
1: sacred grids, that's one to remember.
0: <laughs> the sacred grids, yeah, that's all, that's all using sacred geometries to set up your grids. You set I'm up on your, the Amazon? Uh, yeah, they're all on the Amazon. But, you know, there's the tetrahedron, which is your triangle. There's the octahedron, which is your double triangle, which I have a little octahedron. I don't know if you can see it right oh, there. Yeah. Can you see it? And then uh, the icosahedron and the hexahedron, which is your square, and then the dodecahedron. And the crystal grid that surrounds the Earth is the dodecahedron. Um, Becker Hedges, um, all this this information is in my books at the very beginning. I try to keep it there for each one because it's basic. And um, the the grid around the Earth would probably be responsible (laughs) for some of the gateways and some of the uh, portals in fact a lot of them and you know that's where all the sacred sites are oh yeah on the where these grids cross um the energy grids when they cross that's where the sacred sites are Uh and david Mm -hmm. zinc wrote a book about that uh he talks about the sacred sites and um i have his book um David Childress, you've probably seen Dave, David Hatchet Childress a lot on um, Ancient Aliens. He's been, he makes a lot of appearances there. I have all his books, um, very, very fascinating. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, um, I was surprised when I started, you know, when you asked me, and I I started writing down what i know about crystal grids about grids you know (laughs) so much
1: about crystals you are the crystal crystal queen around here (laughs) you can't talk about crystals and not mention Sharon. (laughs) oh thank you
0: i didn't know that Mm. i have them everywhere i don't know if you can see this one this is a merkaba isn't that gorgeous it's all crystal yeah it is awesome it was a gift someone gave it to me yeah I, and I have, I mean, crystals, I use them for protection, for geopathic stress.
1: Well, you um, don't wear that while around do
0: neck. No, I have I a have, um, tool of evolution around my neck. This is a uh, Star of David, which is your two triangles, one facing up and one facing down, which is as above, so below. Yeah. And I wear this one a lot.
1: So anyhow, that's enough of that. <laughs> So, do you ever go searching for crystals in some of these places like Arkansas where the crystal
0: is No, I never have. I never have.
1: Oh, that Uh, would be a field trip from Cape Cod.
0: Wouldn't that be awesome, huh? Yeah. Actually, the cape is all, sits on a whole bed of crystal. And if you look at the sand, when you put that under a microscope, those are microscopic crystals
1: yeah
0: and if you know a lot of people go to the beach and they gather up stones the white ones
1: yeah.
0: that's um, that's a, that's snow crystal it's a crystal oh I know what I wanted to tell you I thought this was fascinating we make gravestones out of uh, granite right okay pink granite white granite, a lot of white granite up in Vermont, right? Granite (laughs) is a transmitter between us and the other side.
1: Well, that makes perfect sense because the sarcophagus is made of granite.
0: See? Yeah, and then um, all of the obelisks, you know, like the Bunker Monument and the one in, okay, those are all granite, and they are um, transmitters.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> yeah, a lot of people don't know that. I like that. I like I like to know things like that. So, okay. Well, I think we should um, maybe save some more of this for the uh, for next time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think well,
1: let's see. It- eventually, when people catch on to listening to the show. If they send us any
0: questions, that would be fun too. That would be wonderful. Um, and on the website, on the um, the po- podcast site, is our information, our contact mm-hmm. information, so that anyone, you know, if they want to leave us a message or ask us a question, absolutely, yeah. we're open for that. But this is fun. I yeah. I wasn't sure what was going to happen, but uh, um i'm having a good time i don't know
1: about you well we have always been pioneers Sharon. even when we can't get the video to work <laughs> we just carry on but next time we should get the, the video going
0: okay all right but i'm yeah. going to stop the recording right now okay yeah. okay and stay there because i'm you know i won't